0: This is Christian Williams, editor of Utney Reader, and you are listening to episode four of the Abstract Notions podcast. My guest today is Alan Godel, who's the proprietor of Tank House Float and Massage in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, The main focus of his business is a sensory deprivation tank, or as he likes to call them, a sensory reduction tank. And it's actually the place where I've been floating for the last year or so. Uh, Alan and I sat down for two separate conversations. Uh, That are part of this podcast and the first is just a lot of very practical information about the history of floating um, What goes into the process how one can prepare themselves for floating and what to expect when they get into the float tank? And uh, the idea behind that conversation was just basically um, an informational Podcast for people who have heard of floating but aren't quite sure what goes into it Um, for those that understand what floating is all about you probably still will get some interesting information out of the first half of the podcast, but I definitely recommend you check out minute 43 to the end, where Alan and I discuss other uh, ways that he's explored altered states of consciousness, um, which were really what fueled his interest in sensory deprivation tanks and in opening up Tankhouse Float and Massage. So without any further delay, I'll just get right into the conversation with Alan Godel, proprietor of Tank House Float and Massage in Wichita, Kansas. Well, floating's familiar to a lot of older folks who remember it from maybe the 60s and you know, hearing about John Lilly and his experiments with floating. Uh, there's a new generation of people who may not know exactly what floating is. So maybe you can give me a little bit of background or give the, the listener a little bit of background on, on what floating actually is, what's going on in the tank. Uh,
1: This was developed by John Lilly, as you said. Uh, In the 1950s, he was working for the National Institute of Mental Health, and he was doing experiments with removing, trying to remove the mind from the body, so to speak, or uh, what would happen when stimulus is removed to the mind. Um, And he developed, you know, a few variations on the float tank, it ended up with a pretty interesting system, which uh, he was able to get some research out of. And then uh, some people in California who created the first commercial tank, John and Lee Perry, they're still existing as manufacturing the Samadhi tank, is what it's called. And so they uh, kind of worked with John Lilly on developing a commercial tank and kind of got his blessing. And they're still manufacturing those tanks today. So uh, the floating, uh, for people who don't know about it, it, is an immense amount of epsom salt in water, uh, denser than the Dead Sea. A 1,000 pounds and 200 gallons of water makes oh. you float effortlessly. And the, the uh, water is skin temperature... So they're trying, and, you know, the original uh, experiments were done with sensory deprivation, which now I would say is mostly sensory reduction, if you want to term it that, because there's no way to deprive yourself of the full set of uh, bodily experiences. You try as much as you can, which is what the float tank is good for, and it helps people to go into an enhanced rest state, which is good for many, many reasons they are finding out.
0: Yeah, so let's get into some of the the specific benefits of it. I mean, there's the obvious one where you're able to just kind of relax your body, and Right. it's better than a waterbed because you're just, you don't feel any contact unless you let your arms kind of touch your body. Um, but what else is happening? Like, what's going on in the brain? What's really pulling you down into that relaxed state? Well, it is. It is the
1: intention of going into a, a, a an enclosed tank and uh, trying to just shut off your system. So the removal of the gravity. They say uh, in the book of floating, which is a which is a good book about the float world, written in the eighties by a guy named um, Hutchison. He said that at the time um, that 80 or 90 percent of the brain is taken up just by uh, our by the gravity that we're experiencing so that's moving and standing and doing all sorts of things so the um, when you go into the flow tank it allows you uh, an atmosphere which is very different from anything we have even from sleeping on our beds, you know, we have the solid surface of the mattress, and of course it's not 100% gravity-free, but you, uh, that's about as close to full removal of gravity as we can get with with this system, and uh, so it's like a mini-massage, and it just allows your brain and nervous system to more easily shut down into the meditative space, which a lot of that research coincides with it. So the meditative mind or the theta wave in your brain has been shown through research to kind of give your brain and nervous system a reset and uh, your neurochemicals rearrange and your endorphins flourish and your stress chemicals lower, your cortisol levels and whatnot. And those are good reactions within the brain and nervous system to help with pain management and PTSD and many other things uh, that they're finding out about so it's kind of like a growing field of uh, good research for health and consciousness.
0: Yeah the endorphins thing's interesting to me because after this float I came out feeling invigorated which was different than I felt in the first two and I think it was Partly because I had done those first two in the morning when I was already pretty awake and ready to go. And right. this was kind of like a pick-me-up type thing. And, uh, that's, I didn't expect that because you expect when you go into a relaxed state that you'll come out kind of, you know, mellow. and, Right. But that was the opposite this time.
1: Well, I think they're finding out a little bit. There's been people talking about how yeah, you kind of have to experiment with it and find out what's best use for you. And some people have better use in the mornings because maybe they work late shifts or you know second shifts, and so the morning time might be their you know sort of nighttime or afternoon d- depending. And so yeah, I think uh, I've had the same experience as you. I've, I've been used to over the years taking afternoon naps, so it sort of like makes sense to me that mm-hmm. you know you take a, a siesta. And so it's not necessarily a siesta that you're always having inside the tank. You're not always falling asleep, but if that happens, it's also beneficial. So it, you know, I find the afternoons my time yeah. as
0: well. Yeah. Well, how did you get into being a proprietor of a float tank? I guess,
1: you know, I, I switched careers late in life or midlife, I guess. i um, you know, nearing my 50 year mark and you know I needed to I wanted to switch careers into something different I used to be a woodworker and then I became a massage therapist a few years ago so then I was trying to figure out how to start that practice the massage therapy practice and just had heard about the float tank years ago, and had seen a movie called Altered States, which is probably what people most remember about. Mm-hmm. It kind of like this science fiction movie, loosely based on John Lilly about floating, which is you know. <laughs> Highly, yeah, it, that doesn't happen in there. It sort. doesn't. They, <laughs> what they portray in the movie is really, yeah. you know, way out there. Uh-huh. But you know, uh, I, I suppose John Lee was also doing, you know, some other things, uh, some imbibing some psychedelics or things which you know altered his experiences, and he definitely um, had some of some, some of that in his life. But, you know, so, yeah, so I'd heard about it, and then I forgot about it, and then I heard about it, remembered it again, and researched it. And it's, you know, obviously it's been around for a long time, since the 70s. It's been a commercial venture, and so there's, like, some really old-school float centers out there from the 70s who have existed, but it sort of took a nosedive in the 80s and 90s. I think mostly because of AIDS and the fact that people didn't want to float in public water. But, you know, research never really stopped. There was a lot of research in the U.S. sort of in the beginning. And then in those lean years, in the 80s and 90s, there was some research that came out of Canada and Sweden. And so it just kind of continued. And then some people picked it up again, and mostly the, the float center in Portland, I would say, called Float On. They were integral in bringing the industry back around. They kind of like put it back out in view of people again, and we were showing people that it's a viable therapy. Uh, And so now there's more float centers than there ever were, probably. Yeah,
0: and the funny thing is, I'm this float center that we're talking right now is in Wichita, Kansas, which to me would you know, there there's one in Manhattan, Kansas now, there's one that's opened up in Kansas City. So they're right. opening up in places that are not traditionally known as kind of like, you know, new age health spots. Right. And um do you attribute that maybe to the technology that exists now with the float tank? Um or what what specific can you put your finger on that says this is how it's really blossomed in areas outside of the traditional, you know, like I said, New Age healing spots. Well I think uh, we're more
1: connected than ever before with uh, you know our internet and communications, and people are attaching themselves more readily to holistic methods to to bring about uh, consciousness and self-awareness and healing. So you know, Wichita is no different. It's just maybe that they, we have less people here to uh, have attached to that those notions. But it's also a, large, a large, fairly large city. It's the largest city in Kansas, I guess. And mm-hmm. so it's ripe with, with people who, who are waiting for something new and interesting to come around. And flotation is definitely a unique experience, which it, when you hear about it, you hear other stories about it, you can certainly wish to have an experience like it. And so people are excited about that stuff. I mean, it's sort of an anti-climax in one sense. You know, one, one person who floated was like, it's, it's really cool. It's not like jumping out of an airplane, but I would still recommend it. And so it's like the anti-adrenaline. You want to go the opposite direction, and that's pretty cool, too, if you allow yourself to.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I gather from that that the, the reception has been pretty pretty good to this in the in the area here.
1: I think so. I mean, it's it's taken a little bit of effort to get it out, as it will on social media and everything. But people are finding out about it, and or there's a lot of old school people who've heard about it, or people who've been just waiting for something to to show up. A lot of people have been saying, "Well, I've been I was planning to go to Denver or Boulder to do it, but happy to hear that you're open." So, you know, that to me says it's 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 going to continue to grow hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I just have the one float tank, so maybe I'll be getting more in the future, but right now I'm just happy that it's getting a lot of first-timers in to try it out.
0: Yeah. Uh, You mentioned uh, that it kind of went down in the 80s because of concern about uh, public water and and floating in public water. Um, One of the potential you know, misapprehensions about floating in general for people is the cleanliness of it. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit and, and, you know, kind of assuage any fears that it's not a clean process?
1: Understood. And, there, yeah, I get those questions all the time. So, basically, the systems that are being built these days, the the, the tanks and the float pods and the float rooms, they're all built with sanitizing elements, filtration, so there's particle filtration in my tank, uh, there's UV filtration, there's an ozone element, all good, uh, let alone the Epsom salts, which are, you know, you know, like I said, thicker than the Dead Sea with it. And the salts don't allow much to live inside it. You know, it's just kind of too uh, saline of an environment for most organisms to live. Uh, so the other smaller stuff gets taken out by the particle and the UV filtration and there's also the added sanitizing of 35% grade hydrogen peroxide which has been shown to be a really great green sanitizer as opposed to using you know chlorine which the fluid industry in general unless there's state and federal, reg- state or city regulations deeming that they use chlorine then you can just use um, hydrogen peroxide and it's just about as effective or more effective and um, the, the, uh, the salts, like I said, are just like the main antimicrobial and bacterial element in it. So overall I would say based on what I know, and I'm not a chemist, but uh, the other sources that I'm familiar with say that it's probably more sanitary than, you know, a hot tub or a public swimming pool just because it's, you know, it's filtrating 24 hours a day and in between each participant.
0: And and this is kind of a good segue into the, uh, the next thing I want to talk about is if somebody's never done this before, what can they expect? What what kind of pre float advice do you give them? And then what's the process when they actually get into the room? Well, um, there's a lot of different personalities
1: who want to come do it, and some of them are doing it for reasons that kind of dis, also almost disallow them to do it at the same time, which are claustrophobia and anxiety. I, I, But, you know, there's varying degrees of of people and anxieties mostly uh, to assuage their fears. The the pod that I have is fairly open in the interior, and you can sit upright in it. Most people kind of like, before they see it, they think it's like a, a tanning bed or an MRI machine, which is a lot, you know, sort of closer. And so I can see that their fears... Are are true, but you know, mostly people come and they look at it and they go, "Okay, I think I can do it." And then when they get inside, it's fine. So the variety of experiences are many and varied. And I and I and I can only say uh, to go into. I try to tell people to just go into it without any expectations. Try to be patient with with it because. Mostly, our culture is, is built on the the uh, you know we always need to be busy idea. Our life doesn't have meaning unless we are busy with our jobs and and other things which which fulfill meaning in our lives. Which is you know not exactly the greatest way to think. There has to be a balance, and so I, the with the, with people who come in, I, I try to just tell them that you're doing nothing, which is opposite of all that, and tell tell them to try to be patient with it. Because of that, people are going in, and the first experience can take longer for them to reach the enhanced rest state. But if if they're successful, then they can have a really soft, in-between awake and asleep state, which is very easy then to exist in. Once you reach that meditative mind, the theta wave, then it's very easy to exist inside and you're just sort of like you are just really just floating, and your mind is hopefully filled with positive and, and wonderful thoughts and some people will fall asleep and not remember anything which is significant for some people who have sleep disorders and whatnot. but it, it, then there's the other people who who enter that in-between stage, which can be very uh, different for, for everybody. People, Some people see lights coming into their mind, or uh, I just had a woman with fibromyalgia float yesterday for the first time, and she was one of those people with fairly severe anxiety about it, but she was able to get into it, and she had all these memories popping up. Of the past, which she had sort of forgotten about, and some of them were a combination of negative and positive, but in the end, she found it very meaningful, and I think in a way that you know these experiences had popped into her head. And so, those are, I guess, what they call hypnagogic imagery,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is pretty interesting. I really dig that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Um, one of the many news uh, features that I watched on Floating before I did it the first time was a reporter who got in. He he reported something similar where he didn't know what to expect and he just got into the tank and then he got out an hour later and he said he had all of these vivid memories of his childhood, like right. walking through his house as a child. and He hadn't thought of that in a long time and he wasn't quite sure what the significance of it was, but it's just something that... The experience brought out,
1: right? I don't think anybody knows exactly what the significance is, but it's I think uh, to just you know I would call a healing experience, if anything, you know, because people come out and are baffled in a good way by it. So it's something that maybe they're processing through in their lives, and, and at that point is the perfect moment to have remembered that, perhaps a little bit hippie to say but you know hey it, there's no there's no guarantees of what any of this means but you know just the hard research sh- is showing how beneficial it can be and there's no crime in wanting to balance your life with a little bit of silence because we're barraging ourselves daily with you know television and computers and constant engagement with all sorts of things and so yeah that research of being able to go into a, just a silent moment each day even without floating
0: is, is I think, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so from a practical standpoint, if somebody wants to float, is there any you know kind of guidelines they should follow, like in the couple hours leading up to the float? Should they take a shower before they get here, or do you have a shower available for them? Like, What, what are the practical aspects of prepping yourself for a float? I do have a shower, which most float centers do. It's part of
1: the sort of industry standard to shower before and shower after. the The shower before is to help keep the tank clean, and the shower after is to wash the solution off your skin, which is very silky, and the Epsom salts will dry on your skin white. You definitely want to wash that off afterwards. But before you, before people come in, you know they need to. Uh, have something in their stomach so they're not hungry because you don't want to be thinking about having a sandwich or a piece of pizza when you're in the tank because you're not not going into that enhanced rest state. Uh, Removing coffee and stimulants at least the day or a few hours before is probably a good idea because, again, the relaxed state is what you're trying to achieve and the caffeine high is not conducive to the environment. And uh, removing your contact lenses and stuff like that, mostly. And uh, there's a lot of places that say don't shave before you come in because it stings the skin, which is true. It does sting the skin, but mostly if you just kind of wait it out, it'll that, is, that, that will go away. And, and of course, it's, it's high amounts of Epsom salts, so if you have any large cuts or scrapes, you want to let those heal because you're not going to... Be able to exist in there with the Epsom salts, you know, burning into that open wound.
0: Yeah, and you do have some petroleum jelly that you can put on certain things yeah, too. Small cuts, yeah, you know,
1: fine. And again, they're like they're like the shaving thing, you know. They probably go. Well, the sting will go away after a certain amount of time in the tank. Yeah. As soon as your awareness and your your brain starts to slow down, all that stuff kind of just goes away.
0: Right. And then what I like, I mean, this is the only place I've ever floated, but what I like about the situation here is you've thought of pretty much everything that might come up while you're in that room and you've come out of the shower and you're, you know, maybe you're thirsty. Well, you've got some water there and take a drink of water before you go. And you've got a bathroom to go to before you go into the tank. Cause I noticed right. the first time an hour and a half in, if you don't think about going to the bathroom beforehand, you may not need right. to go and you definitely don't want to accidentally go in that tank. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other thing was earplugs. Um, I found those to be actually, you know, pretty helpful. And I, and I know there are some people who don't like to use them because they want to have the as natural experience in the water as possible. But right. uh, that the the earplugs definitely help limit the distraction of the water kind of slashing in and out of your ears when you're when you're, when you're back. So that that's something else that I think people should be aware of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The earplugs I forgot about, which are provided. By most places, because you know, because it just cuts down on any extra noise and just helps keep the salt water out of your ears, and so it's necessary for people who don't like to get water in their ears for obvious reasons, ear aches and such. Yeah, and you don't want to leave leave that Epsom salt solution in your ears, so it's a good idea to at least try the earplugs out mm-hmm. and see if you like them.
0: Yeah, and then that kind of gets into the position that you're actually laying in in, in the uh, tank. Um, right. What I found really interesting was obviously you said there's so much Epsom salt in there that you're not going to sink. Um, Correct. You gotta get a little bit used to the, the sensation of being on top of the water but once you do that you realize that you can let your body completely relax into the water to the point where the the water pretty much comes up in a, a small circle around your face it seems. Um, right. The You know, are there certain positions that you like, you know, where you put your arms? How do you like to float? I personally float with my arms.
1: uh, Well, you know, they would be above my head, I guess, or up in the air in the surrender position. And then just letting the body go limp and they just kind of like fall to where they fall when you let your body go completely relaxed. Um, but it, everybody is a little bit different, and so some people may find a different position more relaxing for them. So some people float with their arms down by their sides, but for me personally, it hunches the shoulders up a little bit. And also, you know, each different position with your arms sort of gives a different gravity for your head and neck, and that can make a difference too. So within in the tank, I provide a few different tools to kind of help with neck tension, if there is any. Because uh, your head hangs back limp, almost like if somebody's carrying you while you're passed out, your head is hanging back. And that can be a weird position for some people. So... Uh, There's a few float tools in there, and like I said, each arm position kind of gives a different buoyancy for how your head hangs in the water.
0: Yeah, and one thing I noticed when you do let your neck go all the way back like that, if you've got a neck issue that you weren't aware of, or if you are aware of it, you know, it becomes noticeable when you do that. And the interesting thing about your particular operation is that it's in a chiropractic office. And and I, you know, it's right. your brother, right? Yeah. And so I wondered if, you you know, that's a unique opportunity for somebody who floats here to also be able to recognize there might be a situation that chiropractic might be able to help. Have you kind of worked in concert in that way? Uh, absolutely. If there's
1: somebody who needs uh, some some good work done, whether it be structural, uh, physical, you know, ailment. Uh, pain or nu- nu- even nutritional. Uh, uh, I try to recommend my brother. Of course, I think he's great because uh, he's my brother and uh, but uh, I also do the massage work which can help some of those aches and pains. but obviously chiropractic can is more effective for some things than others. And, and so I, I
0: try to throw him a bone every once in a while. He's my landlord, so why not? <laughs> well, and it, and it kind of brings back something you said earlier about the holistic approach to taking care of oneself. You know, right. um, there are a lot of different ways for someone to take care of themselves, you know, chiropractic, massage, now floating, and it makes all the sense in the world for an operation to have all of those together. Right. And um, I wonder what your thoughts are on, you know, from a business aspect, it seems like a floating operation on its own may not have, um, I don't know, I mean it it could still be successful obviously if it's got, you know, a, a robust clientele, but it seems like it's got an even greater chance of really sticking around if it can attach itself to something that is widely accepted now, chiropractic is widely accepted.
1: Yeah, and so I, I thought that was a good fit as well, you know, it just happened to be part of the equation when when I started the business is when he was moving his business into a new building and this, uh, yeah, so I think that really attracted me is the fact that in an already established business was already bringing in people who could be, you know, I could grab their hand and walk them into the float tank room and uh, it's a complimentary experience to, for health, the same as chiropractic is, you know. And so that was... Float centers, you know, there's a lot of float centers who do nothing but float and they seem to be doing just fine as far as I know. Um, I just happened to be able to only afford one tank and so uh, this was a perfect situation for me. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, I don't I don't know that they would exist any less, you know, well, just being a float center, but I'm happy to to be able to show them that there is alternatives to to their health that exist in the same building.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um I think you've mentioned to me in the past that there is a certain program that you're a part of with fibromyalgia patients where, you know, they have the opportunity to use the float tank. Can you tell me a little bit more about that aspect of, of what you offer?
1: Right. The, some of the researchers who had done research before, they kind of, they, they put together a pretty informal study because of a lot of incidental reports from fibromyalgia patients about how well they were feeling after floating, and so they wanted to further the research, and so they basically are putting. They designed a study for for that alone, flotation fibromyalgia, and so it, I became a, a, a source for that because I thought it would help people gain gain the knowledge that this is an authentic tool to help you know even though the it's not the research isn't fully completed with the fibromyalgia people can come in who have fibromyalgia with a doctor's permission and get signed up for the study and get a few free floats and a few half-price floats to participate in the research and they just do a pre and post float survey about their condition and how they feel and so far you know I've had Probably about six people signed up, and three of them are nearing completion of the ten float study. So uh, I'm happy to be able to provide that for people and see if there is any good working uh, results from that, and and you know just push the research further because I think it's a great thing.
0: Yeah, well, and obviously if they continue to come back and do it, there's something Absolutely. something happening for yeah. them there. Yeah.
1: So I'm not getting nothing, but, you know, yeah, obviously if they become a regular floater, then then
0: the, the, the payoff is, is much greater. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is kind of a tougher question to answer, but what do you think the future holds for floating? Do you think it's going to you know, be the same kind of up-and-down popularity that it's experienced since John Lilly brought it to the scene? Or do you think it's here to stay at this point, you know, that it's kind of ingraining itself uh, in the same way that other alternative medicine and you know organic food and all these other ways that people are trying to access take care of themselves? Do you think it's going to stick around? Well,
1: that is a hard question to answer, but yeah, I can't say for sure. But given its past and its rocky past, uh, you know, the up and down, and that is still sort of had held held on to the you know the edge with its with its claws, and and other countries have taken up the bait as well. I mean, I think uh, that helps as well as a kind of an international presence of people who are getting interested and it. Would show to me that probably it's around to stay and hopefully become an authentic and, and mainstream therapy. Hopefully, you know, the hope is obviously the insurance companies will recognize it, the VA, doctors, everybody, because uh, that's the way that a lot of people are moving towards organic holistic nature driven and, you know, less pharmaceutical products imbibed. That there's a lot of people attaching themselves and uh, so I think it's it's a good thing, and there's no secret, you know, there's not, they call it a technology that's really branding for the industry to call it that, but really it's just a big bathtub with Epsom salt and water, you know, so it's not really, it's not great shakes, there's no real um, technology exactly to it. But having said that, I think people are starting to, to develop tanks around, some uh, other notions out there. I, I kind of saw some indications that people were designing tanks based on, you know, sacred geometry and maybe trying to put Faraday cages around them to block out electromagnetic interference and all this stuff, which mm-hmm. I think is great, too. Mm-hmm. just shows that there's more to do with it, more more uh, to to attach, as far as the technology goes, you know, make it a real technology possibly through all these different sciences that might help it gain more
0: weight. Yeah. This kind of gets me back, I'm backtracking a little bit, but um, is there anybody that you you would suggest maybe doesn't float? Like, is, is floating truly for everyone, or are there certain conditions or situations where you would maybe recommend that they don't? Or has the technology been able to accommodate even the most anxious person? Um, You know, if that's the issue. Um, Well, I think from a liability standpoint, they're
1: they're saying anybody with unregulated schizophrenic or you know sort of you know really um, chronic mental syndromes possibly shouldn't should you know consider not doing it because it can produce a state of mind that may be detrimental for their condition uh... That, can, that stuff can change and hopefully uh, the the act of doing nothing can show hopefully that it helps even that stuff but you know like i said the very the very thing that helps some people such as anxiety and claustrophobic it makes people afraid to do it you know they don't want to get into something that you close the lid on and, and uh, turn out the lights but really i think Hopefully, if people give it a chance, then it can help them, but some people are just too, too caught up in those anxieties, and those are real, and so you can't ignore them. So, those people are just not going to do it, probably, if they're too fearful, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, kidney disorders, if, it's, if, if there's a um, bad kidney or, you know, possibility of a kidney transplant, it's not recommended. Those are a couple of things. I've read a little bit about diabetes and how, you know, Epsom salts are are maybe not good for a really bad diabetic, but mostly I think the magnesium of the Epsom salts, which absorbs into your skin, is supposed to help create a balance for diabetics more than anything. It's just that I think if it's a severe, again, unregulated diabetic uh, condition, then perhaps they need to kind of think about it and maybe ask their doctors which is what I do for anybody who has any real serious questions, has a liability issue, just talk to your doctor and have them give the, you know, a-okay or not. It's not going to be for everybody. There's not anything out there that, you know, everybody can attach to and say, oh, yeah, I really get a lot of great stuff out of that. It's just going to be for a certain section of people who, who
0: find it helpful in their daily lives. By regular floating, are they suggesting daily, or are they suggesting weekly, or you know, what's the frequency that, that research has demonstrated seems to be really working?
1: Well, you know, a lot, said, a lot of the research has varying lengths of, between each float, so I think some of it had been done on a weekly basis. Um, and again, it's all an individual kind of like equation. Some pe- there's a lot of different reasons why people may want to float, And so depending on what that condition is, if it's a physical condition, if you're dealing with pain and you want to give floating, you know, a fair chance, I say, come in on a weekly basis for at least three or four tries, maybe more, depending on how bad it is, and, you know, give it a fair shake on a timely, regular basis. Otherwise, you can't really tell what's going on. Maybe they're on some other medication, which is affecting their pain. But um, I think people just need to get in and, and kind of give it, give it a go and, and see what regularity they choose, and, which is always going to be different for people. Some are going to want to do it on a monthly basis. Some are going to want to do it on a daily basis. It's just it's just how much money they have to spend and mm-hmm. time as well. You know, it's that's a big thing. And if it, if they're wanting to float that much, I suggest getting a home float
0: tank. Yeah, <laughs> and that was what I was going to ask next: is is it financially feasible for someone to get their own tank at this point? Has the technology gotten to that point, or you know, what, yeah. what's your take on that? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, obviously the, there's so there's so many m- more float centers now than there ever, than before I think. Uh, they said in the early 2000s there was maybe only 85 centers and now, or 2010, 2011, like 85, now there's 200 and almost 300 centers open. Mm-hmm. So that, that dr- that's driven obviously by tank manufacturers, so there's more tanking manufacturers out there than ever and so there's a lot of different uh, places that are trying to fill in the gaps. My tank is probably around a $20,000 tank which is a commercial grade tank and and then you have a guy in Lincoln, Nebraska this guy named Jeremy who's doing escape pod tanks is what he calls them and they're sort of mid-level range you could probably get one of his tanks for around seven or 8,000. So I think he's getting a lot of great business for centers who are opening multiple tanks. And uh, then then for the home use uh, market, uh, there would be a float tent, and there's a place called Zen Float Tents, which just uh, brought out their first prototype, I think, last year. And I think they're filling this home tent, you know, home float market and it's kind of bare bones. I've never floated in one so I can't say for sure, but in my my opinion, just on the, the the limited floating I've done, once you're in a float atmosphere, it's no different how big the atmosphere is. Probably there may be some differences in the air quality and how much air you're getting, but hopefully they've taken that into account, but they're just sort of a just a square box with a tent over it. I think it's well done and I would like to float in one sometime to see how it is, but um, you can probably get one of those for around two grand. And so that's very doable
0: aside from the cost of the Epsom salt. The, the one thing I noticed the first time I floated was that you don't need a lot of space necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean it's ideal if you don't feel the sides when you're trying, you know, just lay there, Right. but um, it, this kind of gets back into the claustrophobic notion, too. You know, it's more claustrophobic, I think, when you keep the light on and you see the lid come down and you're like, oh, I'm in this small tank. But once the lights go out, right. you, you feel like you're in a huge room. I mean, you feel like you're in outer space. Right. And so that really suggests that the size of the unit is not that big of a consideration as long as, again, it can accommodate an adult person.
1: Right. And yeah, so that's my that's my personal opinion too. It's you probably don't notice the difference. You know, you probably would know whether you were in a float tent, which is a lot smaller than the float pod that I have, and you have being able to spread out your arms and legs. But you go, you know, really silent, and then and with your body, then you could probably exist in in one. Area. Sometimes I've been a- able to exist for a full hour without touching the sides at all, but that takes really shallow breathing, which you'll enter
0: if you get into the enhanced rest state. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your prior experiences with altered consciousness. Um, you know, the other things that you've been into that kind of led you to the float tank. Well, uh, as your uh, the theme of your podcast
1: goes, uh, there's a couple of previous podcasts that had experiences with like lucid dreaming, and the ayahuasca as well, and uh, going, I had done, uh, for instance, a darkness retreat um, outside of those experiences that you've podcasted about, which was going into darkness for a, a two-week period, wow. but, um, I mean, early in, I guess, m- my teen years, I had s- sort of had experiences with the lucid dreaming stuff just by chance, uh, having you know states of uh, in between awake and asleep, uh, which was very interesting to me. And I even remember seeing, I think it was like an old Omni magazine article, which was telling people kind of a step-by-step process of how to control your dreams or, you know, become conscious within the dream state and I tried that a little bit without much success but and then kind of forgot about it in you know as life continued until you know years later when my brother who's been sort of a consciousness inspiration to me had gone to the Monroe Institute which is in Virginia and uh, the Monroe Institute is started by a guy named Bob Monroe, who had a series of out-of-body experiences when he was playing with uh, sleep research and mm-hmm. you're, you're learning through sleep, that sort of stuff. Okay. And from that point, he he you know kind of took some money and started a research in- institute, which. It continues to this day, and it allows people to come and do retreats and explore the intuitive state, where you listen to binaural beats or what they call hemisync, which is a hemispheric synchronization for the brain. Kind of a trademarked binaural beats that they had uh, that they developed, and they use at the institute with different exercises to bring you into different uh, dimensions and hel- help maybe answer questions in your life or, you know, they, they go into uh, um, being able to possibly visit or have visitations with people who have passed on, mm. things like that. And so it was really interesting to me. I did a couple of retreats there based on his, my brother's experiences going to the Monroe Institute and, you know, just kind of remembering my past from childhood, which seems to be the way a lot of experiences happen in childhood, where you have these things and then you kind of forget about them, you know, unless unless you have an experience that just keeps you fully in it. You kind of forget about it and then you, I like, I remembered it late, years later and it sort of carried on or opened up. My My brain to more and different areas, and yes, of course the uh, the ayahuasca, and so I had listened to your your podcast with Chris Killam and, and which was great. and uh, that is something that I had done also based on my brother's experience going to Peru and, and trying ceremony with with uh, this wonderful uh, you know plant medicine. And so those, those, that was you know a real key aspect to part of my consciousness journey. And I think like everything has a little bit of a, a footnote into why I started the flotation tank. Um, later after doing ayahuasca experiences, I had the opportunity and heard, had heard about darkness retreats, which, um, it has a, has a great sort of, uh, history in a lot of different cultures, really spiritual and religious cultures of people going into darkness and experiencing different, you know, altered realities or different spaces that they could enter by going into darkness for X amount of time, so. Where did you do the, uh, darkness retreat? There is a place in, in, uh, Thailand called, uh, Dao Gardens and it's run by this uh, Taoist master called Mantek Chia and when I heard about it it was really like intriguing to me the idea of going into darkness for a long period and so I went and it, so there's a Taoist bent uh, doing exercises within that and I probably should have done a few exercises before that within that tradition but I didn't. I just wanted to go and experience the darkness and see what it was like Mm -hmm. and so I was a little bit behind the other people who were there probably who had probably several years of of doing these Taoist exercises but it was interesting. I tried to keep up and and, uh, the first week in, in darkness I did two weeks the first week was pretty easy because your body's catching up on a lot of sleep, so you go into this period where you're just, you know, falling asleep a lot, and so I had a lot of really great and interesting dream states, mm. just really, you know, unlike uh, other dream states that I'd had. And then the second week, your your body clock shifts to a different state where you're awake a lot of the time. And so that's where the the training in in this Taoist meditative thing would have been a little bit more if i had I had more uh training in it it would have been it would have been helpful to be able to just maybe shut myself off and go into states uh that would you know have it maybe helped with seeing different you know conscious uh dimensions but and I did. I saw some things. I mean, your brain, after a certain amount of time, it sort of, it sort of kind of uh, rearranges the neurochemicals in darkness to where you can have, like, a DMT experience. Mm. And so I did have a few experiences where there was fully lit, uh, like, mind, mind spaces, wow. which was very cool, and they only lasted a few seconds, but it was very vivid... And then, you know, with the pineal gland, or what they think is the third eye, very early on in the experience started flickering lights inside your head, and so there was always a little bit of action going on, but it was, it was more just kind of like interesting brain things Hmm. Other than the these uh, the the two or three experiences that were just fully you know open wow. uh, lit experiences where I could I couldn't tell whether
0: it was real or not you know wow. at the time. So um, basically, you were in a lit space, but it wasn't the actual room that you were in. It was a different right. It was in all lane altogether. Yeah,
1: it was. A, yeah. yeah, it uh, was made up of whatever was happening within my brain. I, I, would, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, but yeah, the the this building was completely dark,
0: so I I knew for sure that was the case. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. I had never heard about darkness retreats before, and I'm actually studying a lot about Taoism right now. So are you? So it's totally, yeah, <laughs> tripping my trigger. I want to check that out.
1: Yeah, it's so so deep and wide, the the Taoist thing. And like I said, you know, i did I'd done a little bit of stuff, a little Qigong, a little Tai Chi, but those yeah. are like really basic things compared to what you can really delve into yeah. with that tradition. And so a lot of the people there were like, you know, miles ahead of me, I think, and especially, you know, Mantak Chia was there every day coming to talk to us a little bit during special times. You know, we would all gather in a special room and um, he would come and and give these exercises which I just couldn't fathom half of what he was talking about exactly or how to achieve the states that he was talking about Mm -hmm. in these exercises.
0: Hmm. How many people were there at
1: the same time? Um, I think there was probably like 40 or 50, and it was sort of, it was a three-week, you could go three weeks if you wanted to, but you obviously weren't locked in, so you could signal one of the attendants and say, I got to get out of here, I'm going crazy or whatever. And it was mostly um, for your internal purposes, which meant, meant that, Unless you had an alliance with somebody else that who you had met before, they shut out the lights. You were there pretty much trying trying to be with yourself in your own sure. thing. Yeah. So I I did mostly that. Unless <laughs> you know, there's always the odd occasion where you're bumping into each other because it was dark and right. you were going from your this main area where there were mats on the floor, which is where you went to do the exercises, and then. Conversely, your your room where you, you went to to be by yourself most of the time, so you were going back and forth between the public space and the private space, and you had sort of mapped it out before they shut out the lights, and okay. it was very so you know they had all the corners, they, they had pillows and wrapped in cushions so that you weren't you know gonna. <laughs> There were stairs, but, you know, luckily nobody that I know of fell down or or had any major injuries. Wow. And then you would eat in the dark, too, and and do everything in the dark. Yeah, so attendants would come, and they they had night vision goggles, which... um, yeah if you were hungry and you were look waiting for them, you could see them coming because there's a little little beam on their okay on their night vision goggles, and so I tried to yeah. shut my eyes, but they said, you know you should wear a a, a sleep mask any anyways most of oh, yeah. the time because mm-hmm. the act of And, you know, I did it quite a bit, I think. I I was always with my eyes open trying to see if there was actually any light leak anywhere. Mm -hmm. But it's a waste of time on your brain because it just, uh, you know, takes up so much brain space trying to do this activity of seeing whether there's light hanging
0: out or... Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities to that with, you know, the the float tank. Uh, When you're in the dark your eyes never actually get used to the darkness. So it's, you know, like sometimes when there is a little bit of light leak in a space, your eyes will adjust and you'll all so you'll be able to see right. in the dark. That never happens in the tank, at least not as far as I've been able to tell. And every once in a while I'll think that I can see, like, you know, little tracers of, of water uh, reflecting up in the ceiling. Oh, interesting. But it's not possible because, I mean, it, it's got to be some kind of... Um, memory aspect that's, that's playing in there. You know, when I'm looking up at the ceiling, but it's been dark for 20 minutes, there's no getting used to that and seeing things all of a sudden. So, yeah. Right.
1: Uh, Yeah. So something is, is creating a vision in your brain or, you know,
0: so there's something like, something akin to that, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned something earlier about the space between falling asleep and uh, being awake. Um, there's a term for that that I can't quite remember, is it hypnagogic? Hypnagogic, yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, I've read a little bit about that, and uh, some creative types, artists or thinkers, um, actually desire to stay within that space, and so they try to keep themselves in, you know, don't fall asleep, but also kind of keep them in that hypnagogic state, because they come up with a lot of ideas, Um, and that is probably something I've recognized the most out of The Float Tank is it really does kind of keep you in that in-between state because there's a little bit, there's enough distraction sometimes that you don't fall asleep right away. Right. Um, and you stay in that space longer, and that's when the, the interesting things happen. Um, and it sounds like your, your experience with lucid dreaming or just falling asleep and, and noticing those things, and then the darkness retreat, you know, there's a lot of similarities between what was interesting to you about those things and what the float tank provides.
1: No, absolutely. And, and I think it it's a great sort of primer for people who are looking possibly to get a, a, in an experience. So there's no guarantee, uh, obviously, but the more intention you put into the idea that and it, this was something that Bob Monroe of the Monroe Institute, it was kind of like a mantra, we are more than our physical bodies. And so if you can uh, adjust your belief system to that notion and put your intention into like experiencing those those dimensions or those realities that we don't uh, that we don't see every day, you know, in our waking state. Then I think it's more uh, it's easier over time. You know, you always have to practice patience with all that stuff. But I think you put you put an intentionality into it. And it and it it presets it to kind of like maybe happen. It'll give it a greater chance, I think. And,
0: and I, I think too, um, my experience has been it's important to establish the intention, but then to release yourself from expectation. Right. So. It's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, it is very tricky. But I mean that, it's like anything. When you want it, you don't get it. When you don't know you want it, it happens. And. That's the same kind of thing with this. The same kind of thing with me and meditating. Like if I if I sit down ten minutes and say I'm going to be enlightened by this experience, you know, right. that's setting an unrealistic expectation for a ten minute meditation session. Sure, that's probably not going to realize itself. And right, so I think that is important to say. Yeah, you establish an intent, but then you release expectation. Exactly,
1: perfectly said. And and it's really hard to to, to do. It's really hard to even be just okay with how things are in your life without wishing that something was different. And I know that you know some, some lives, some people's lives are better than others, but that's all also a brain game mm-hmm. about like about what what's truth and what what's better, what's good versus bad, and so I think there's a whole realm of the way of. Our way of thinking in our in our observable world, and how we you know can form, you know it's all self awareness really if we right. if we can look at something and and not judge it but just kind of like ask ourselves why we why we might be thinking a certain way that kind of opens up ourselves to a new way of thinking
0: which is like yeah. this is neither good nor bad it just is kind mm-hmm. of thinking and that's what's so cool about the float tank Um, and before we started recording I was telling you about my experience just before we we did this recording and um, I got salt in my eyes I had to get up a couple times and by definition that wouldn't have been a positive float experience because I wasn't totally relaxed for the full hour but what I realized being in there is you just gotta go with the flow and um, my meditation practices kinda helped me get to a point where that, that kind of stuff can happen and I can still glean something positive from it. You know, I learned something about myself. And so, ultimately the float tank to me is a great way for anybody who wants to try to for lack of a better term, master that part of, of living where you just roll with the punches and you don't go in there with you know, this this great expectation that you're gonna come out a new person. But you right. just kinda of let the experience happen and you observe it. and. Um, there's a lot of positive to be gained from that, and sometimes you're really surprised by by what happens. Absolutely, I think uh,
1: you know if there if there's any power or creativity in the universe, it will it will provide you enough sort of input to create something that's really novel and and amusing for for the benefit of of you being able to to put yourself in that situation where you can discern the difference between just, just being and, and, and wanting something, like desiring something to mm-hmm. happen, which we can never really do, you know, you
0: can't really make something happen. No, I think, and then that's kind of the essence of, uh, Buddhism, mm-hmm. the art of not becoming attached to anything, um, and, uh, yeah. For anybody that is interested in any of that, the flow tank, I think, is an ideal place because it really is kind of a crash course into uh, a mind space that probably would take a lot of work to get into if you were just doing straight-up meditating in the waking world. (laughs) Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. It's It's a good sort of like express course if you're patient with it. Like, you know, you still have to be patient with the float tank, but it will kind of provide you with some of the states that, you know, some of the major meditators or, or monks, Buddhist monks, have, have attained, I think. And uh, there's been a few people who've come through the, the door and gone in the float tank. And, yeah, I think it's it's kind of shifted their perspective to where they're they're questioning a little bit their, their paradigm of their belief systems a little mm. bit, which I think is very cool. I mean, I, yeah. I really like that, and it's very interesting to me to have people from all sort of walks of life come in and, and, and be affected in a way not everybody is, but, you know, there's enough people who get something positive out of the experience where I think it's a really uh, cool thing.
0: Okay, so that was my conversation, actually two conversations with Alan Godel from Tankhouse Float and Massage. Uh, I hope you got some new information out of that if uh, you weren't familiar with floating before, and uh, even if you were. Um, I think Alan's got some interesting perspectives on floating, and uh, he's definitely educated himself about the benefits of it so that he can pass those on. Um, He did mention a book uh, over the course of the podcast called The Book of Floating, uh, by Michael Hutchison. Um, after my first float with Alan, uh, I picked that book up and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, it was written back in the 80s, um, but I think Hutchison actually updated it um, to kind of go along with the resurgence of floating tanks. So it's still available through Amazon and anywhere else you want to try to pick a book up, and uh, I definitely recommend it. So that'll do it for this podcast. This is Christian Williams, editor of Utne Reader, and I'll talk to you next time.